Hello. I'm hoping this works because otherwise this would be a big waste of my time. But I uh, thought I'd record a little introduction to this because we are about to hear our both episodes of the abandoned second series of my my podcast that was formerly called This Is Your Life and was going to be renamed for season two as My Disney Life. And what happened was I'm sure most of you know the story already, but I was approached by a podcast production company. We cut a deal. I was going to record, edit, produce, release the podcasts. They were going to get me guests. And that didn't happen. And at the end of the, the first season that we did, I expressed concerns to the management who agreed that they had dropped the ball and apologised and said, look, let's get all guns blazing for season two. We talked about renaming it, so we did. Got the logo done. It took about 20 minutes for someone to do. It apparently cost me £100, which I still haven't paid for a few. And then I gave them a list of names that I'd be interested in, but with the, the caveat that, you know, basically uh, anyone I could get would be good. And uh, nothing happened. So I got the two guests that I had personally found and booked and recorded with them almost a year ago. And that was supposed to be the start of, uh, of season two. But nothing ever happened. They never followed up with me. I never followed up with them. Because it was clear that that relationship wasn't working. Basically, I just think they lost interest in, in me. Which was fine. Um, I think the problem for me was need to be told that rather than just figure it out so I was very frustrated um, it was a two-year contract that started in 2020 and in fact thinking about it I think these episodes are recorded in 2021 Jesus Christ so long time ago now um, and I sent the two completed episodes over for feedback and to get them put in the cannon ready to be launched when the, uh, the time was right and I never did and my contract expired in August and neither party said anything about re-signing so my contract was uh, was worthy but meaningless. It seemed to suggest that uh, once it was all kind of done and dusted, everything would revert back to me. So I've hung on to these long enough. Um, feel that they should be heard by other people. I did release them on the Patreon a while ago because that was private. Now I'm going public with these episodes. So. 
you know, I want to thank both my guests because they gave up their time to record this with me. And I feel bad that it feels like a waste of time for them because they were generous to, to give me so much of theirs. And uh, they didn't have it. I mean, the only thing is, I don't work in entertainment anymore, so they're probably more used to this stuff than I am. I did work in TV for a few years, and stuff like this would kind of happen, but not in the way that it's happened to me. And it really knocked me because I've been doing this now for 11 years, come up to 11 years next month, and I honestly thought when this opportunity presented itself that it could have been a, a launch pad for me and anything that turned into a bit of a nightmare. I put a lot of hours into making both uh, well, series one and these two episodes because I had to edit the clips, I had to find the clips, edit the clips in, cut down the interviews because the interviews would generally be way longer than what was actually released. So a lot of pretty good material had to hit the cutting room floor um, which was very frustrating to me, but it is what it is. So, yeah, that's it for the intro. I'm recording this on a, on a rainy walkout, so I'm hoping this has worked. If not, I'll have to record it again when I'm home. But, yeah, hopefully it's, it's all good. When you call me, so, this is just a, a kind of extra bonus over the Christmas period because it's, uh, it's a boring time of year for many people, myself included. And, you know, once the initial Christmas and, and Boxing Day activities are done, you're kind of treading water until New Year's happens and then uh, you're off again with a brand new, brand new year. And, you know, back to work and all that mumbo-jumbo. So, this, this period now is a bit of a weird time, so I thought, why not give you guys some, some extra content? Which, you know, if you was a Patreon, you'd, you'd have heard bloody ages ago. I'm trying to think if I released it on Patreon, it might have been the summer of this year. Maybe a spring, I can't remember. But yeah, I released it on there ages ago, so. There's another reason to be a Patreon, right? <laughs> Early content, but... Uh, I really enjoyed doing these. Um, both Robert and, and Paul were, were great guests. Uh, with Paul, it was a bit more of a rush. We only had a, a limited window, but Robert gave me quite a lot of time. And I really appreciate that. And I'm publicly apologising to both of these and then come out soon after. It was out of my control. I wasn't in control of releasing the podcast. So, there you go. Anyway, here is episode one. Episode two will be out in a few days. And then I think this project is probably done. How are you, bud? Yeah, good, you? Yeah, you Yeah, marvellous. Yeah. good one? Yeah, chill. Yeah, I know. Conversation, I can decide me with my business. Stop for electric scooter.
Um, but yeah, so <laughs> what I was saying was the joys of, of recording outside. Um, yeah, I think this podcast is done. I don't think you will hear any further episodes of this nature. You know, maybe if, if things change, it might be something to to reevaluate. Crazy likes the idea of me just doing it with regular guests, regular listeners, Disney fans. Um, I might, I might do that someday. But to be honest, I need to put this this ghost behind me and see what happens. But without further ado, because this is long enough. Here is episode one of series two, the lost episodes of my Disney life. I'm Nick, and it's been a long time since I've said hello to you, Um, and for that, I apologise. When I wrapped up the first season of This Is Your Life, I was planning to take about a month away while we rebranded the show and got some interviews in the bag and then come back earlier this year with um, a whole new run of, of episodes. That unfortunately didn't happen. Um, I'd like to say a lot of that is out of my control, because it is, Um, but it's not an excuse uh, in other ways. Um, I don't like not being able to do this, I I really enjoy putting this show together, but it's really hard work, and I'm just not familiar to a lot of people, so it's been very hard to get interviews with people. So, all I can say is that if you want more of these uh, shows to come out, then, you know, if you know somebody who you think might be uh, a good guest, please put them in touch with me. Um, or ask them yourself, obviously. Play them some episodes, see what they think. Um, Contact 1129 Media. They are the company that I do these for. And, um, you know, if the demand is there, they will give me some assistance in doing so. So please do that as well. But the format is the same, just the show name is different. So don't expect anything completely wild with this run of shows. Um, the first guest I have is Robert White. He is a comedian who uh, you'll probably know him best for his appearance on Britain's Got Talent a few years ago. And uh, since being on that show, he's been able to go and play at venues up and down the country with um, his unique brand of of humour, musical humour. Um, we sat down right at the beginning of this year, so some of the stuff that we talked about, we didn't think we would still be in the same kind of position we were then as we are now. Like th- Some things haven't really changed. And uh, I do sound a bit croaky. Um, that's because I've had the super cold. So I've not had COVID that I know of. This isn't COVID, but I've had the super cold because that's now a thing as well. Um, so yeah, th- 
things have changed. So uh, this episode, I've got Robert White. Uh, my next episode, I have another amazing guest as well. Um, so look out for that. If you don't already, like, subscribe to this podcast. Um, that's how we know there's an audience. Um, and I love having interactions with people. And this show is very specific. It's about me sitting down with a guest and talking about the ways Disney has had an impact on their life. But if you want to hear more about the actual theme park side of things, then check out the other podcasts that I do, uh, that Disney Parks podcast, that Disneyland Paris podcast, and that Universal podcast. Um, If you want to hear less chatting to guests and more about what is going on uh, with the latest news and rumours for the theme parks and beyond. Um, So without further ado, and I've been keeping you a long time from this, uh, but here is my interview with the hilarious and lovely Robert White. So this episode I'm joined by uh, Robert White, who is a stand-up comedian. Um, I first became aware of you on uh, Britain's Got Talent, which I'm sure is where um, a lot of people know you from. Um, mm. I've not spoken to anybody that's ever been uh, part of a, a talent show, especially one as big as Britain's Got Talent, probably the biggest one we have uh, in the UK. What was that experience like for you? Um, oh, it was crazy. Um, I, I It was unusual because I, I first became aware of myself on Britain's Got Talent as well. um because well it because it was almost as if i never existed before that and maybe i didn't who knows um but i think i i well it's everything you can ever imagine it was crazy it was rushed it was um good things bad things mixed things um it was sort of uh like a pandemic on stage um set to music so it was that crazy (laughs) Okay, but not so infectious. Although maybe it was infectious. Who knows? The, the um, laughter. I did go viral. <laughs> yes. Well, the, so, the laughter sorry. was definitely infectious. You know. Well, thank you. Um, I, that is the aim. You aim uh, for doing this for. Uh, well, I did it for years to be a, an overnight sensation. So, um, <laughs> I think that's you know, hopefully, the one thing you can say is that. Um, I made people happy and made people laugh and I got followers and uh, I got a lot of support from it. So, yeah, it was good in that way. Yeah, well, that's that, that's excellent. Um, and, and before, well, I say before you did that, I mean, you know, I, I know you did a lot of, of things like in, in Edinburgh at the Fringe, um, mm. but when you weren't on stage making people laugh, you were making children laugh. Um, what, just randomly walking up to them in the street? Or? <laughs> I mean, I mean, in classrooms more than... Maybe oh, in more, classrooms. I don't know. Yes, I was. I was a teacher and um, I did teach and I did have some very, very fun lessons um, jumping out from behind blackboards, playing the trumpet. Um, and uh, that's what why I got asked to leave the parents' evening. No, um, I think... <laughs> I, well, I think the thing about, it, particularly with little kids, teaching is about engaging and it's about um, being creative and uh, putting things across in a way that they'll, you know, that, that they'll remember. And uh, there is a fine line between performance and teaching, as we will all remember from probably some of the most eccentric teachers from school we remember who were probably our best. And, uh, and you know, and I was possibly one of those. Well, that's a good legacy to leave, I think. And also, um, 
something that you you've mentioned in in your stand up is is the fact that you're autistic mm. um and i've uh, myself uh got a son who is is non-verbal autistic and as we know like autism is it's like a huge spectrum was mm. um was autism something you were diagnosed with um as a child or was it something you discovered uh, later in life um or, or my autistic journey has been sort of crazy pardon the pun it has been basically um i sort of was very unlucky when i was uh, it's a massive long story but basically I, I they didn't know anything about me and it destroyed my childhood and broke my family and i went through a series of different traumatic events and ended up in my early 20s uh, reading about it and working out that that's exactly what it was. And it was like a light in the darkness. I dealt with it on my own and coped with it on my own uh, for a long time. And then in my mid 30s, I got a, a diagnosis. So it's sort of um, I was autistic before anyone knew autism existed. I to you know I had to stand on stage and explain it even before I'd said anything to a room of people who didn't know what it was when I first started stand up. It was um, yeah in in a lot of ways it was quite traumatic and quite horrific and uh, not as much fun as uh, you know is shown when presenting a sort of quirky comedy smiley bloke on stage. But um, you know whatever doesn't killing makes you stronger and uh I, I suppose that's the thing my life has been one of those of uh dealing and coming to terms and coping and uh hopefully um well i don't know in in another life if i was able to be diagnosed as a child and able to not have the experiences i've had um then i i, I might just just jump at the chance but i can surely say that for a lot of the bad stuff i've been through for all the badness of it it has it has given me things which um i otherwise would not have yeah yeah i get that i've i've if if, if you really want to know the whole seriousness of it, I, i've i've written my whole life story online if you go on robertwhitecomedy.com my life so far it's all written out in black and white that's brilliant, uh, and hopefully, um, once people listen to this, uh, they will, they will do so. Um, yeah, and I think because we are, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. I, I never ask uh, anybody their age. That's rude. But um, no, I believe we're a, a similar kind of of age, and um, I think there was um, a big stigma, um, or, or as you say, kind of like a, a lack of awareness of of what autism there was just is. total nothing when i was a kid i was diagnosed with uh, they said i was cross lateral and cross lateral means that your strong eye is the opposite from your strong hand which basically means we don't know what's wrong with you we're going <laughs> to label you with that um at primary school i was dyslexic at secondary school the local authority couldn't afford for me to be dyslexic um at secondary school um uh, uh uh, in the in the first year there was a maths test and at the end of the maths test there was this really complicated problem only two boys in the school got the problem correct one was the most intelligent boy in the school and the other was me and I was called into the office to and they wanted to ask me how did I cheat when I was sitting across the other side of the room 
I was dyslexic. I, I was called stupid. I was isolated. I was every, you can't, you know, every, anything and everything. And then, you know, uh, isolation, eating disorder, PTSD, depression, abusive relationship, mental breakdown and prison for a crime I didn't commit, homelessness and lifelong poverty. So, you know, it has been proper hell. Um, and I don't know. The only the only thing I can say, and this is this sounds the only thing I can say is when I was young, I wanted to be a composer. And I've got a friend who's become a composer and he's uh, done a he's a composer by, you know, he writes stuff for films and TV and that. But I have got the life of a composer that you'd read about in a history book. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so I've written one symphony. I've written a few musicals and stuff. And, you know, um, I have got the eccentric life. So maybe if I get success as a composer 200 years after I'm dead, maybe maybe that's the way to look at it. Yeah, a bit like a, a Mozart or uh, yes. a Van Gogh. I know Van Gogh's not an Van Gogh, art, uh, yeah. No, Van Gogh's but... the run, isn't it? Van Gogh's like all through his lifetime, no one cared. Yeah. And then after his lifetime, it's like, let me sell your painting for a, like much more than you ever could have imagined. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being the poorest man in the whole world ever and making these... <laughs> making these paintings that no one cares about and everyone says they're rubbish. And then after you're dead, something that you'd have rested your mug of tea on, they're going, oh, look at this, look at this spectacular circular form in the corner of the um, sunflower. It must be like a, must be a sort of like a atmospheric analogy for uh, some deep pain in his early childhood and, and Van Gogh's looking down from heaven and going, no, I, I just put my tea on that corner. Do you know what I mean? It's just a coffee it's, ring. It's just a coffee <laughs> ring. But no, but just a, this, uh, this is, anyway, let's not go there. It's, let's, get, let's let, anyway, yes. Yeah. Um, I I think uh, you are, you asked the question, unfortunately, you asked the what has autism be like question and, uh, Sometimes I, I answer it with a, maybe I should have answered it with like a little joke and then it would have been brushed away. But sometimes I answer it in a serious way and all of a sudden this massive chasm into the truth of my life, which no one could ever imagine has opened up. But um, yeah, I, I, th I think uh, anyone who's autistic will know that um, it isn't all smiles and jokes, um, but some of the strongest people I know are people with disabilities who've had to overcome things. Yeah, and I, you know, firstly, thank you for, for your honesty, really. Like you say, you could mm. have made a, a, a funny comment and, and asking a question like that, because uh, I didn't, I, I, I should have really mentioned that before we started recording like is it okay to to broach this subject um and i just kind of was a bit to, to be honest you caught me off guard because there's two sorts of interviews the interview where i'm talking to someone and i'm trying to make everything a joke and everything funny and the other interview where i'm sort of talking serious about and uh i i sort of that caught me off guard but um no that's cool um you know these these are th these things are parts of people's li lives, and there's a reason why autism diagnosis and that there's a reason why an invisible disability is a disability, and I think it's important to say that you know lots of people could look at me, and lots of people could look at someone who's autistic, and if they're 
I, you know, we can't use labels nowadays, high functioning, lower function, but mild or whatever. But, but if someone doesn't seem as if they have a disability, it could be very easy for someone just to dismiss them as, you know, that's that person who laughs and smiles on stage and is the Mr. Happy Man. Um, and that would be a great disservice to all the autistic people who genuinely suffer day in, day out. And the truth is that me as an autistic person, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I suffer day in, day out, but I would say I cope day in, day out. And the reason I cope day in, day out is because through years of struggle, I've learned how to change the suffering into coping. But for a long time in my life, there was, and even now there are times. Yeah. And, and I'm, one of the reasons I, 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 mm. I was interested to, to ask you that, as I said, I've got a son who we knew very early on that um, there was something not quite right. And my wife, I remember my wife turning, I came home from work one day. This is when I was obviously allowed to actually leave my house to go to work. But I remember coming home and, and she said to me, um, I'm convinced our son's autistic. And at that time, uh, you know, autism to me was things like Rain Man and, mm. you know, that kind of Hollywood version of, of autism. And I was like, look, he's he's not, he's just over a year old, like, you know, we don't know, like, yes, he's not talking, he's not doing certain things, but how do we know it's that? It's because my wife did a lot of research, you know, that yeah, and started yeah, yeah. that ball rolling. And he got diagnosed uh, two and a half, so quite young. Um, but, you know, he's nonverbal, he's um, he's six now, he's nonverbal, uh, development delayed, uh, a, a very kind of specific uh, type of, of autism, I suppose. But when he was still quite young and we'd have to turn around to people and say, you know, we've been invited out to something and we're like, well, like, actually, we don't think we can do this because of um, how he he might feel in that environment. Um, you know, it was very hard for people to understand because I think some just kind of almost saw it still as, well, he's just, you know, a young child. He's a bit, he might be a bit awkward or something and not understand that there's something there. Our friends now are absolutely amazing. Friends and family are, are wonderful. You know, we've been able to, um, you know, give them the information and, you know, they can see and uh, what's going on and everything like that. And it's and it's great, but it's, it's having that. And I struggled through school and I was, uh, I was told I was too, I was doing too well to have any kind of major impairment but there was obviously something that I wasn't doing. I wasn't achieving in, in other ways. And it was only at university, in my last year of university, I had a, a tutor who one day turned around to me when I was struggling and said, are you getting help with your dyslexia? And I said, I'm not dyslexic. And she said, no, you are dyslexic. You're not getting support for that. Now, I can read perfectly fine. Mm. Um, I struggled to, to retain the information, but I could certainly read a book. And it was only in later years with other things that I noticed that I did in, in different ways to other people that I thought, actually, I think I now know what this is, but I'm now in my mid thirties and where I'm based, I can't get a diagnosis uh, for autism. to even see if that's what it is. All the signs scream it. The doctor I, I went to said, it looks like you, you have the, the symptoms of, but mm. we can't diagnose you with that. So I, this is the most open I've ever been talking about it, really, because I feel almost fraudulent that I'm saying I've obviously got these issues and I feel that I am without having that. 
I don't know. I don't know what it is in your area, and that's sad to say. Um, but I think nowadays, I think the thing is, as I was saying, that it it, it it is related to life impairment as well. And if you're functioning, they might be prone to not diagnose you, because if you are diagnosed with a disability, then they then it entitles you apparently. Well, I've got a dyslexia grant which is enabled equipment, but it entitles you to certain state monies and stuff like that. And I think what they're trying to say is that, yes, they want to give assistance to people on the autistic spectrum who may be struggling with life. But, um, you know, if it's just someone who's sort of like getting on with everything seemingly okay. And if you, if you look at, the people who aren't being diagnosed at the moment are getting people who are homeless and totally poor, you know. So the sort of people who are, you're getting overlooked, which is wrong, but there's probably people down the line who are just so much worse off who are also getting overlooked. Do you know what I mean? The whole thing, but the whole system is broken. If if you think about the prison system, how many people in prison are there because of mental conditions? Yeah. You systematically, this whole understanding of mental conditions in this country is, um, well, there's going to be a turning point because lots of people know it and lots of people twig it and lots of people get it. But still, people with mental conditions are turning up at police stations. People with mental conditions are and going to hospital and being mistreated. People who are dyslexic or mildly autistic or autistic are not being given the help they need, you know, but we know it, we understand it and we see it, but you know, the same as with racism, the same as with sexism, it's much easier said than done, unfortunately, much easier said than done. Yeah. Um, look, this is supposed to be a fun, happy, clappy and fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Edit out the rest. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's, it's my fault. I've driven it down this path and I, you know, no, I am, cool. I'm leading this. So, um, but I, I think it's really important. I do think um, if you're if you have any kind of platform, I think it's important to talk about these things as well. As I've done in the previous series, I sent you in advance a series of uh, of questions, of eight yeah. questions, um, all related uh, around Disney. Uh, and the first yeah. one of those questions was, "What is your first Disney memory?" I remember Bird Mobs and Broomsticks. I think. Um, Bedrooms and broomsticks. I always thought, it, um, I because there were there were two, weren't there, that were on every Christmas. There was Mary Poppins and there was Bedknobs and broomsticks, and it was yeah. cartoon and film. And you used to watch, and there weren't. You're probably going to tell me the history of when this first started and where, what the first where they mixed cartoon and film. But I, you know, it was just like, oh wow. I, I'm completely with you um, mm. on that. I I never and I saw... don't think Roger. Ra- I don't think Roger Rabbit was as good. It's it's yeah. It's 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 interesting. I mean, I I watched Roger Rabbit fairly recently, like within the last few years, and I mm. still think it's good. But I think the difference with with Roger Rabbit is where it's made that much later. Mm. So where that's a film in the eighties. And Mary Poppins was in the 60s and Bedknobs and Broomsticks was in the early 70s. Um, I don't know. It just feels like they felt more special because well, they're, they're older. They're, 
that I think they're special because they're musicals and I think they're special because they're sort of family stories. I think the mm. Roger Rabbit was a di- just like a different sort of story and uh, just a bit nasty and seedy. There's something about having a woman with large breasts, which is a bit <laughs> sort of, that's not, whilst in a way it's a kid's, it's supposed to be a kid's film and kids may notice or might know, but it, it, in your mind you're thinking that's a bit adult, whereas... Bedknobs and Broomsticks is so ridiculous and so innocent, and there's the magic with it and the silliness of it as well. Um, I just remember I I couldn't tell you the plot. I can tell you the plot of Mary Poppins, but Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I just just remember being a kid at Christmas watching. It was that, and one of our dinosaurs is missing. Is that Disney? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I used to, that was a thing that was on at Christmas as well, and I think, and although nowadays looking back, there's obviously there's elements about that which you wouldn't uh, wouldn't pass the censor. Um, but they well, were just innocent, weren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, you say that about not passing the censor. So one of my favourite lines of mm. any film ever. Is yeah. uh, is Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and to give you the background here, I'd never seen Bedknobs and Broomsticks when I was a child. I'd seen, um, like you say, it used to be on at Christmas, so I'd seen. What is the plot, by the way? Um, the plot of Bedknobs and Broomsticks is there's uh, there's a, a man who's getting books from a witch or, mm. or from a, a, a like a, a magic academy, so he's training to become um, aware of magic and witchcraft. Um, and but Angela Lansbury is actually a witch, um, and uh, and the Nazis are involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And there's a football match with animals, no, which it's is cool. everyone's favourite cool. bit. Yeah, mm. but I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you the difference. Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. There's kids in it, and sitting at yeah. home watching. You're one of those kids. You're in the film. You're ref- yeah, yeah. You can see yourself represented in the film. Do you have a favourite song from um, Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Can you remember any of them? I can't remember. You said childhood memory. So I remember me looking, watching Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and I remember watching them flying on the bed. Okay, so the next question I had for you is, uh, who is your favourite Disney character? Who would I say? Because there's two ways of looking at it. There's films that I watch as an adult, and there's films that I watched as a child where I'm remembering myself liking them, but I don't actually remember that much about them because I have a big fear of re-watching kids' films. I'll tell you for why. I hadn't seen Star Wars when I was a kid, and I watched Star Wars, and I watched the first Star Wars, and I thought, yeah, this is a good movie. And I watched the second Star Wars, and halfway through, Yoda comes up. And Yoda is a Muppet. Literally. Within a film where everyone else is an actor. And I've just wasted all of all of this. T- I don't what? I can't believe this. 
and uh, it totally utterly ruined all of everything to do with Star Wars for me. So, and uh, you know, supposedly Star Wars is supposedly the holy grail of all films that everyone should love. So, so, so now um, I have this big rift between the films I know as an adult and the memories of films I know from being a child. So my favourite characters as an adult in Disney are, well, I suppose the Pixar ones, because the Pixar ones are the ones I see, um, and Inside Out, Ratatouille. Uh, do they count? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, do you cool. mean, so, um, with because Inside Out is an interesting one. Um, well, I think I th- I like the. I would say I like the. Um, I know you want me to favorite character, but originally I was going to say favorite characters, hmm. and I would have said all the uh, the, the all the um, the co little dinosaurs to the to um, is it Littlefoot in Land Before Time? Yeah. Is that the name of the dinosaur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I would have said the companions, yeah. to, the companions to Littlefoot, but you're telling me that's not Disney, you evil man. Um, I would say I've been called worse. The, the the emotions in the head. I just think they're mm. so cool. The whole, uh, or maybe what is it? Um, who's who's um, or the girl herself, or the clown is Coco. Yeah, Coco as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so I don't know. Do I? Could I pin down to one character? As a kid, I would have definitely said Herbie. I had a little Herbie car, and I wanted to sort of. uh, I wanted to have a well, not no, not an actual Beetle. I wasn't that spoiled as a child. I mean, a toy car. Yes, yes, yes. 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 I I never had one, so I I see that as an improvement. Oh yeah, no, that is. I had (laughs) the doors opened and everything. Well, not everything. It didn't drive on its own. But, um, <laughs> never mind its own, no. No, no, it didn't have a mind of its own. Um, but as an adult, I would say favourite character. There's something about the uh, the chef boy man in Ratatouille um, and how he sort of successfully eschews all the sort of obstacles against him and makes the most... Uh, you know, the wonderful... Is it soup or is it stew? He's making a soup or something. It's, well, he's making ratatouille. Ratatouille, in, yeah. In, makes... in the end, but yes, um, at first he makes this big soup. Yeah. And obviously Remy is uh, Remy's the rat and he's throwing all the ingredients in or he's telling him what to put in there. And, you know, everyone's going, what are you doing? You're putting too much in. And then they try it and it's it's obviously perfect. Well, there's something um, about the the person who can't do it succeeding in can doing it. I love those stories. I love the story, and I know it's sort of it's not the same as you know Martin Luther King or you know Nelson Mandela or I don't know uh, Mother Teresa or the Lady with the Lamp or, or, or you know, Florence Nightingale or, or someone sort of overcoming a massive challenge. But just the idea of, for me of overcoming a challenge and sort of succeeding like that, I think, is always a very special storyline. And even though it's a sort of a small overcoming of a challenge because he's like impressing the reviewer or whatever it is, um, still that's the whole basis of the story and that is that you know that that there's always something beautiful about those stories yeah no i i agree i think um so i i would say what's the name of the the guy in uh alfredo linguini 
Alfredo oh, Linguini. Well, but that's, another but dish. That's, not, that's the name of. Is that the name of the guy? The guy who can't yes. cook. Yes. So so. Oh, cool! I think Alfredo yeah. was. So Re- yeah, Remy's Remy's the rat who befriends him, and they have the working relationship. Mm. Um, but yeah, Alfredo Linguini, which is at least one, if not two, separate dishes. Isn't it? Alfredo mm. is a type of uh, main and linguine is a type of pasta. So, they the two are the same. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's, I, th- I think Ratatouille is a lovely film, actually. And I think it's... Um, I think the other thing that's good about that film is... I know it sounds really silly, but it's got a good representation of food. Like, a lot of films, you watch the food is pizza, burgers, like traditional junk food. Whilst in Ratatouille, they're actually making proper food dishes with f- like fresh vegetables and fruits. And um, I think that must be quite inspiring for kids to, you know, see a film and go, actually, I want to try that. Well, that's, that is the thing, isn't it? It's always about, as a teacher, you know, it's always about just presenting kids with stuff in a way that they're interested in it. You know, if the kids have only seen um parsnip in in like some really nasty ma- mashed school meal then they're not going to like parsnip but if 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 you had a little disney character called percy the parsnip all of a sudden sales of parsnips would go through the roof well disney if you're listening uh, and you want to make a new film we think uh well i'm i'm not going to take uh, credit for this uh, i think robert has come up with possibly the biggest selling character of all time <laughs> yeah yeah i've patented it already my next question to you is do you have a favorite disney villain or sidekick um um yeah i thought about it and i thought because fox and hound there isn't really a villain is there they're they're both sort of against each other mm. um and the other one is uh, is one one hundred and one Dalmatians is Disney. Yes. All right. Well, in that case, I will plump for Cruella Deville. Um. Or oh, or sidekick. Maybe that's a one to go. Who was I thinking of? Because I I did some research as well. I don't know all of this. Oh yeah, in the Little Mermaid scuttle. Oh. The um, seagull. Yeah. I always thought, like, there's Dipsy's seagull. I loved that movie, actually. That's a that's a really interesting choice. Like, Little Mermaid is one that comes up quite a lot. And again, I think it's because of our ages when The Little Mermaid mm. came out. Um, but people always go, oh, well, the songs are amazing. Or, you know, Ariel's my favourite princess or, or whatever. Um, but you don't you don't often get people talk about those side characters. And and even when you do, it's normally like Sebastian or Flounder. They're the two obvious choices. Who's Flounder? Uh, the, he's the, uh, I think he's a clown. Is he a yellow clownfish? Oh, it's, this is the thing. As, a, you, as an adult, lots of these things are just sort of pictures in your mind. I can remember, uh, you know, I can remember certain things which really stick out, but I can't remember whole films. Maybe... Um, but I just remember this the seagull being uh, the seagull was in the mermaid, wasn't it? Or was it yeah. in finding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just really loved this seagull, yeah. No, I like he just was... got everything wrong and went round in circles. I just thought that was really wicked, yeah. 
Um, but but Scuttle, what a, what a great shout! And I'm going to look forward to uh, to finding a clip of him from the Little Mermaid to uh, oh. to put in at the end of this. Whoa, what a swim! Scuttle, look what we found! Yeah, we're in the sunken ship. It was really creepy. Human stuff, huh? Hey, let me see. This is special. This is very very unusual. What? What is it? It's a dingle hopper. Humans use these little babies. To straighten their hair out. See, just a little twirl here and a yank down, boy, like. Yeah, I got an aesthetically pleasing configuration of hair that humans go nuts over. <laughs> a dingle hopper. What about that one? Right, so the next question, which is uh, one of the stranger questions that I ask my guests, is yeah. which Disney film would you have liked to have been a part of? And that's either by acting in it or by actually being a character in that world? Well, I thought about this, and I would love to have not acted, not been a character, but I'd have loved to write the songs for, I don't know, either some sort of classic Disney thing, like a, a Mary Poppins or something like that. I'd have loved to write a Disney musical. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? So, And that's that... the sort of thing I do. So. Is... Is that is that something like? Would you, you know, if you if you put your mind to it, do you think you could create a a children's story of that kind of vein and be able to write all the the the, the book, the lyrics, the words, uh, the music to it? I don't know. I just love all those sort of like you've got those really sort of either you've got really sort of happy tunes that go. <laughs> got some like these really sort of the melodies like so i'd love to write a disney i'd love to have written a disney movie you know i'd like that's what that's what i'd have loved to do I, I'm I, I'm sat here, kind of like just a bit gobsmacked. I've I've seen people play the piano before. Don't get me wrong, but you 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 talking about it like that and then actually kind of just just making it happen on on your keyboard was amazing. Like right, it's well, really blow me that's, blow that's, my mind. I I I do silly sort of songs and stuff like that when I do comedy and because I can't sing that well. I never sort of do any sort of properly sung songs but um ideally what i if i had my, my thing uh my life would be writing uh, children's musicals so i'll tell you what let me let me kind of throw the question back to you again but yes. after what we've just said so a lot of the uh, you, you've mentioned a few pixar films right and they're yeah. the ones you kind of focus on now they're the ones yeah. you normally watch as an adult most of those don't have music in them that they yeah. had music, but they're not a musical. So, yeah. is there a Pixar film that you would like to turn into a musical? Uh, well, the original, the initial answer is no, because all the Pixar films are so good. I, 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 I don't really like this modern thing of everything's a musical. It's like you know, uh, News the musical. I went to toilet the musical. He went to toilet. He was in a rush, he was so fast, he 
forgot to flush and it stayed there for a week and the smell got more and more so until no one could open the door i don't know so i think i think um no so um i think i think no i would say not with pixar films but you could but this then you what but you could i suppose you could go um um but lots of them are beautiful like they've got beautiful music anyway oh uh, is um toy story uh You're going to set me off. Please, please leave that. I, you, you know, that made... <laughs> I watched that film at the time of... Um, oh, no. My ex-boyfriend. I watched... And when the girl... When... Um, because it it's the girl doll, isn't it? Sings about, sings about her owner. And getting thrown away. I was in tears. In utter buckets of tears. Yeah. Um... Uh, but then I'm like that. Yeah, so um, what would I turn into a musical if I could turn into a musical? I would turn any of them into a musical, um, but I'd also turn none of them into a musical. I'd turn any of them into a musical because they're all amazing and I'd love to do it, but I'd turn none of them into a musical because they're perfect. But if Pixar did come along and say, hey, we've got this story, write a musical, I'd say, Show me your hand and let me bite it off, Pixar. Because <laughs> there's recently been, because of the pandemic, again, going back to the yeah. pandemic, um, I, I, it started off on TikTok, which I don't I don't understand TikTok. I don't get right. TikTok, right? But I, I know what it is, but I, I've missed a boat on TikTok. Snap, yeah. Yeah. But they, um, a group of people come together and they made Ratatouille the musical. And right. they just wrote their own songs and they performed it to raise money for, I think, charity. And they put together this musical. So, uh, you know, Disney have been quite hot of, of recent years into making things into musicals. So well, you Frozen can just obviously do that if you did want, can't and you? stuff. But yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I quite, you know, after you mentioned it, um, you know, Inside Out the musical could be quite good. You know, different the, the different emotions can have their own you know, musical standards. How would you stage that in someone's head? Um, so you would have... I know that's not the question that producers no. ask now. The pre pre question producers ask now is, how can you make something so ridiculously unstageable that when you do stage it, it looks amazing? But um... I, I tell you what I'd do, and I'm not a theatre producer, so yeah, you know, cool. bear with me. But I would have... Um, like the, the, the stage, um, the surround of the stage look like the outside of somebody's head yes and then the kind of you know like the the kind of then in the gap of the inside of the head would be the stage and that would be where uh, the emotions all live and you'd have like a big kind of model head with like uh eyes that kind of f eyelids fluttered or something like that to uh to be the person talking and all the action takes place on the stage inside her head uh, well, you you have booked your composer for that. All you need yes. to do is get get the money together, and we're done. Ah, <laughs> oh, Robert White's um, Inside Out the Musical on Ice uh, coming to theatres next year. Yeah, throw it on ice. You know that it adds an element of danger, right? Just everything on ice. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, my next uh, my next question to you, and maybe mm. it's from the upcoming uh, Inside Out, the musical on ice, mm. uh, but what is your favourite song from a Disney movie? Well, this is where you're going to tell me that... If we hold on together from the land before time, this is where you're going to oh, tell me yeah. that's not that's not a Disney. That um, doesn't doesn't count, no. But no, um, but I I, what a I lovely think, song. <laughs> I think, and this is where my second one doesn't count either. From Pete's Dragon. Is that Which from Pete's Dragon? It's not. No. No. Um, so. <laughs> It's from the so if we, hold the on, if we hold on together, <laughs> Path of the Magic Dragon, neither of them. My favourite Disney song, well, uh, this uh, my third one, Hushabye Mountain, isn't it? It's not in it. It's, it's not a Disney film, is it? Hushabye Mountain's from Titi Titi Bang Bang, isn't it? Yeah. So we're going to yeah. have to go... to uh yes that's um my, my favorite songs do you know it's it's actually um so you so um going or on is about, it not yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no okay. it, it is it's actually um it was actually walt but, disney's favorite song was it and um so i'm sure you're aware i'm sure i'm not teaching you anything you don't already know mm. but um the sherman brothers wrote the songs for mary poppins yeah, and they yeah, wrote yeah. the songs for for many disney films of that era and on a Friday afternoon, uh, Walt Disney had an office um, in the theme park, above Main Street in, in the theme park. And on a Friday afternoon, he would get the Sherman Brothers to go and play Feed the Birds. Um, and that would be like, oh. the, the weekly thing that they would do. And uh, he 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 just absolutely loved it. It was his absolute favourite song. They they And they wrote hundreds of songs over they the years. They wrote loads. They're amazing. You know. um, I, but I think the thing is... For me, for when I did my sort of club comedy and all that sort of stuff, I have parodied all those songs to death. Every because everyone knows them, everyone knows them, and everyone loves them. A superboy called Callum dressed me like a madam, but the lipstick was too fragile and broke. But when the lipstick broke, we discovered my bad breath had been uncovered. Yes, Super Callum's fragile lipstick exposed halitosis. Um and what else? I couldn't work there? out where that was going. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, um. And what was he? Um. Uh. Oh no! I and uh, let's go fly a kite. Is uh? I can't. Uh, that's too rude. But um. Oh, everyone knows these songs. You know, everyone would sing along. Everyone would sing along. Um. It. You know, they're adults who are drunk, but their childhood. You know, the childhood uh, connection to these melodies is just like, it's like intrinsic. It's sort of deep within them. They're beautiful songs. Yeah. 
No, they they certainly are. Because the Sherman um... Brothers, I think they they were in Hollywood. What, what what years are we talking? I think they trained on Broadway and then went to Hollywood because the whole thing of are we talking of the fifties or the sixties? Fifties into sixties, aren't we? Yes, yes. Yeah, because uh, that was when the Hollywood Hollywood music started in sort of the forties, fifties, because the Depression killed um, Broadway. And then a lot of the good writers went to uh, Hollywood, and that sort of started that big boom in Hollywood. Yeah, I didn't know because um, I've been meaning to watch. There's a there's a documentary on uh, on Disney Plus about the Sherman Brothers. I believe it's All called right. The Boys, um, but it's a documentary about them and and their career. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film uh, Saving Mr. Banks, but that is a film about the making of Mary Poppins. I, and... Well, there's an interesting thing about the <laughs> Saving Mr. Banks because um, they're saving Private Ryan, which has got Tom Hanks in it. Correct. And they're saving Mr. Banks, which has got Tom Hanks in it. Yep. Which are totally unrelated films. Yes. I convinced my mother that they were the first and last part of a saving trilogy, <laughs> and that there was a there was there was a middle film where the school teacher Tom Hanks character. Went home and uh, and it had to go incognito as Walt Disney in order to hide from what he'd done during the war. <laughs> and so you can believe that there was this like there was this film that linked. <laughs> now that's what I want to say. Now I want to see it. You is there a script? See... Is there a script? Is there is there a script for Tom Hanks doing the the, the linking film between? Saving uh, Private Ryan and saving the uh, Mr. Banks in the in in the Saving trilogy. Yeah, yeah. that's what you want. I mean, I look, Hollywood loves the trilogy, so yes. um, I think you're I think you're onto something. Um, All right, but no, I think um, yeah, Feed the Birds, a- amazing song, and and the Sherman Brothers are, you know, a- absolute geniuses when it comes to uh, a musical number, in my opinion. Mm. And that is the end of the first part of this episode. This was quite a long episode, and I thought that was a really good place for us to take a pause. So uh, please join me for part two of my interview with Robert White on this podcast feed. Please like and subscribe. As soon as a new episode drops, you will get part two of this. So thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it so far and look forward to part two. All original content is played for the purposes of discussion and is owned by the copyright holders. All original content is the property of My Disney Life, an After Dark Network production for 1129 Media. All rights reserved. This podcast was brought to you by 1129 Media.